Amen. Let me see from a show of hands from those of you who have used the word busy to describe your life in the last two weeks. Yes, most of us. No judgment here. In fact, listen to how amazing my week has been. Are you ready? Last Sunday afternoon was Nathan Mars's ordination, which was fabulous. And then Monday night, I had to be in two places at once here for meetings, one about a community rallying to support another, someone in need, and also the immigration team meeting met. Wednesday, I had the choice to go hear Wendell Berry, watch the Democratic debate, or go out with my brother and his fiancée to plan their wedding. We chose the, least, the last of those. Thursday, we welcomed Jude and the other kids home from Passport Camp. Friday, for a bit of fun, Tyler and I went out to dinner with some friends. Saturday, yesterday, was a robust day with a few hours at the pool, my brother and his fiancé's bridal shower in Danville, and Taft's birthday. Today, I'm preaching, and after church, we will celebrate Taft turning seven with a cheeseburger lunch, a grater's ice cream cake, and a rowdy round of laser tag. Our extended family is in town for the occasion. In the midst of my regular work week, I also managed to squeeze in a hair color appointment and a trip to the dentist. Oh, and Tyler and I are spending time together in the evenings while Ben watching The Handmaid's Tale. Everybody take a breath. (laughs) Not that it's a competition, but I bet several of you can slow nod and match the Mayfield busyness this last week, or top it, even. Life is so full for so many of us. So full that when I pause to read a passage of scripture like the one for today, it startles me. At first, I'm relieved. I'm not the only one who is busy. Even people in the ancient world were busy. But then I get a little nervous. Maybe life is too full. But again, no judgment on busy lives today. So then I wonder, at least, how does one stay present enough in a season of busy to be able to still hear Jesus' call to follow him? Because what we see in this passage is that Jesus does call us to follow, even when we are busy. There's never going to be the perfect time when it's easy or natural to pack up all your stuff or to get rid of all of your stuff and to follow, especially if following Jesus requires a lifestyle change. Life is simply too full with all the important things. Yet no matter the timing, it is an imperative thing to respond to the call of God. It can turn your life upside down and inside out, and Jesus gets this better than any of us. Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. We are only in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, 9 of 24 chapters, not even halfway through, just nine chapters into Jesus' ministry. But the text tells us today something shifts. Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. Already he has his mind on the things that will come to him when he and the disciples arrive for Passover. We know that when they get to Jerusalem, he is killed. I believe that Jesus knows things will be bad, but at this point, maybe not quite sure just how bad. And yet, it only takes nine chapters of ministry for him to know that he is walking into trouble. His face is set toward Jerusalem. Now, there's a quick bit more trouble in Samaria. That's nothing new. The first century Jews and the Samaritans did not get along too well. So then moving on to the next village, Jesus begins inviting new followers to join him and to also set their face toward Jerusalem. But it's not casual. Nothing is casual when your life is on the line. It has a way of shifting the perspective to greater urgency. 
And so when one guy cavalierly says, I'll follow you, Jesus retorts with a harsh metaphor about homelessness. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I imagine the dude taking like three steps back, like, okay, thought we were going to Jerusalem. So Jesus says to guy number two, follow me. And this guy's ready. He's game. All right, let's go. I'll follow you to Jerusalem, Jesus, except my dad is sick and he's about to die. And I'd like to be there when he passes. Can I catch up with you all in the next village? To which Jesus lays down another harsh word, let the dead bury their dead. Duly noted. Finally, guy number three says, I'll follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. And for all we know, because we don't know, this could be a young guy with a wife and kids that he needs to have a word with before he just packs up his life and moves on. To which you see a pattern now, Jesus speaks directly for a third time. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, now or never, folks, no looking or turning back, no soft goodbyes with the people you love. This mission cannot wait, and I will not wait. You are either with me or you are not, and if you are, let's go set your face toward Jerusalem. This is not a very heartwarming passage. There are no Thomas Kincaid paintings of this scene. There is a piece of public art in the United States where Jesus is depicted as a sleeping homeless man on a park bench, equally poignant and troublesome. And so I have wrestled with this text this week. Carol saw the whiteboard in my office. On one hand, I want to say, cranky Jesus here needs a granola bar and a nap. I want to read against this passage and reject his demands for sacrifice. Here are these folks busy with life commitments who are still willing to join him on the journey of ministry and all that lies in Jerusalem, but Jesus nearly rebukes them for having other priorities. That hardly seems fair. I don't think it's a sin to be busy. That's not another guilt that we need to carry. It's not wrong to care for aging parents or to look back when you're plowing a field to make sure that you're going in a straight line or that you haven't missed anything behind you. There's nothing wrong with having obligations like family members to love and sick to care for. Why is Jesus so worked up? And then, on the other hand, because you all know me, I want to get really intense And I want to really preach this. Yes, give it all to follow Jesus. Give away your possessions to the poor. Go away from this well and sin no more. Flee from your earthly families and find communion in the kingdom of God. Stop being so busy and you will hear the call of God. And you simply must go. Go to the border. Go to West Louisville. Go to wherever the need is greatest. Just follow me and leave your comforts and go. That's all this is about. But that seems too black and white and stressful to say the least and white savior complex to say the worst. As if a sudden packing up and going to wherever to fix a problem is really what Jesus is calling us to do. As if that's even our job to fix a problem rather than embody justice and love wherever we find ourselves. Plus, and here's another thing, Jesus' call to follow him looks different for different people. Yes, the rich man was told to give away his wealth, but the garrison demoniac last week was told to stay and tell of his healing. And the blind man who took up his mat and walked for the first time in 40 years was told to stay behind. Some healings are even to be kept a secret. 
So how do we know the best way to follow and that this harsh word for immediacy is true for us as well? Is it? Because, after all, we do live in a world that needs Jesus' teachings about peace and reconciliation and welcoming the neighbor and hope in the midst of despair. We did see the conflicts on the debate stages this week, and we saw the photo in our newsfeed of that drowned father and toddler in the Rio Grande River. Yet we have to get to work and we have to pay the bills, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we can follow Jesus there, too. So do you feel the tension of this text with me? Ultimately, we don't know what these potential new disciples decided. Maybe they retreated back to their families and their homes, and maybe they went with him that very moment, seeing the light, hearing the call of the Spirit. There's ambiguity here, and I really appreciate that. And so maybe this is a shift for us. And the question we need to be asking ourselves has less to do with how busy we are in the mortgage that needs pain and the car that needs an oil change and the kids that need dinner, and it has more to do with are we in a position to hear Jesus when Jesus calls? When we feel that tug on our heart to respond to the needs around us, are we able to say yes, even in the face of adversity, even if there are other things, more important things that seem important, pining for our attention? How do we discern the priorities? How do we best follow a path that is marked with joy, but also grief? There's a guy here in Louisville. His name is Dr. Peter Bucher, and he teaches mindfulness and meditation classes at the Drepon Goman Center. It's the Buddhist temple over on Hubbard's Lane. He teaches from both a Buddhist and a Christian tradition, and he is an evangelist for mindfulness training because of the ways that it has changed his life. He's formerly a self-described stressed-out orthopedic surgeon who never felt like he had enough time with his patients. He spent his days running between surgery and rounds in his office and then home to family and back again the next day, and he felt like a hamster caught in a wheel. His heart was pulling him in a new direction. And so he responded to this call that longed for simplicity, and in response, he found meditation. He learned how to notice his breath and still his body and catch up with his spirit. And his life transformed. Friends who take his classes confess similar results. One person I know no longer takes antidepressants on account of incorporating meditation into their daily practice. And not that there's anything wrong with antidepressants. They are good. The results, though, of mindfulness and meditation are scientific and spiritual. It creates a new posture for the rigors of daily life. And so I was in a class with him a few weeks ago, and he told us the story of a cow in a pen on a farm. And the cow is restless and charged with energy. Imagine it scraping its hoof along the ground, ready to go somewhere but not sure where, unsettled even though it is milked every morning and well-loved. We are this cow, he says. Or better yet, the cow is those parts of our life that cause suffering. And then Dr. Pete describes that the practice of meditation is like giving a giant open pasture to the restless, anxious cow. And the point is not to get rid of the cow or to make the cow stop mooing or doing other cow things. 
or to make it sit down and be quiet in this big open pasture, but to let the cow run free and to do what it was created to do and so it can be a good and well and healthy cow. And then the cow will find its place well enough and even learn to lie down and rest so that it can keep being the very best cow that it was created to be. A cow with peace of mind. Isn't that a lovely and serene image? The cow at peace? And so I wonder, what are our restless cows? That if we could just get them channeled, then we would be in a position to lie down in a field or respond to the call of Jesus without it disrupting us or leaving us resentful that one more person needs one more thing from us. Maybe the cow is your thoughts, those ruminations that keep you from sleep at night. Or maybe it is your emotional state. How are you feeling in this worship space this morning? It could be expectations that others put on you or expectations that you put on yourself. The anxious cow could be your job, especially if it's an unsatisfying job. It could be grief or relationships or the news or even social media, anything that causes suffering. Now imagine Jesus saying to you in the midst of the restlessness and the pain, follow me, set your face toward Jerusalem. Yes, there is still pain. It's not going to be easy, this journey of inclusion and healing and radical hospitality and upending authority, but it will be like an open field. You won't have to wrestle the cow anymore. You can truly be free. Come, follow me. Does this paradox make sense? That even amidst our busyness, if we are able to live with intention and purpose and clarity, then we will not only hear the voice of the Holy One, we will realize the best option, the most life-giving choice is to do the ministry of the gospel. And here's the kicker. Sometimes this will require us to say no to some things in order to say yes to the main thing. And this is tough. And so at the risk of oversimplifying, it's like when you're in grad school and you're working on an important paper that's due the next day, and your dear friends are ready to celebrate an important milestone that same night that you need to finalize the paper. The paper's good enough. You could turn it in and go out with your friends and be there for the occasion. But it is grad school, after all. So do you celebrate or do you finish the paper? Either way, you may be wishing that you were someplace else. And I up here in the pulpit can't say which is the better option. The situation is too contextual. And yet I do know this. When we are able to heed the call, we will find peace. To resist what we feel called to do is to live with unrest and dissatisfaction, to nurse that anxious cow. And it's tricky right? Because Jerusalem is a place of death, and yet the lusciousness with which the disciples live and offer healing as they travel together cannot be exchanged for anything in the world. Stepping into your destiny carries with it unprecedented liberation. What is Jesus calling you to do? How are you to follow him this morning? And are we in a position to hear him and respond? Highland, you posted your ministerial and your congregational profiles this week in your search for a new pastor. Sidebar, we celebrate your work, transition team, and pastor search community. They are beautiful documents. 
We are now officially accepting applications for our next pastoral minister. Wonderful news. Finally, some of you might be thinking. And now that they are in circulation, we rightly ask, what is next for our church? How is Jesus asking us to follow him in terms of who to call and how to follow a new leader? How will we know that the candidate is the best fit for us? But more importantly, how do we position ourselves as a body of Christ so that we are ready to hear God's guidance and discern the possibilities? Let's let this be an example for us of how we face choices every day about how we will follow Jesus amidst the hurry and the pressure to get things done. Is there a way to know if the choices that we make are good in honoring? Now, I don't think that God's will is a linear line and that if we make the wrong decision that we step off the line and out of God's grace. That's not consistent with God's character. What if our opportunities to follow Jesus arise in each moment? And when we are living faithfully and present to that moment, we do follow, making the choice again and again Like each moment that an addict decides not to use. It is not a one-time decision. It is presented to us multiple times every day. Like a rock thrown in the water and the ripples go out. The ripples of joy, the fruit of the spirit, they expand from us. It's circular and in motion, always stemming from the core of who we are, that posture that we take before God. It's a beautiful thing, I think, to think about that guy going home to nurse his father and still joining with the group later. I have to believe that Jesus would still welcome him. Just like I have to believe that Jesus is calling us to respond in all manner of ways to the atrocities around the globe and that we have great agency in how we choose to hear and respond to the call. And so, again, it has nothing to do with how busy we are and everything to do with our posture. Are we living in a way to see the spontaneity of God, to hear the call of Jesus, to receive the inspiration of the Spirit, to help alleviate suffering for others and in ourselves? And if we do live in such a way, God will see this. God will bless our posturing with peace and wholeness and mindfulness. It's a promise. As we, too, set our face toward Jerusalem and experience the fullness of life with God. Amen.